0: On this prequel episode, we've got patron shoutouts, New Moon fan feedback, we're learning about Robert A. Heinlein, and previewing Starship Troopers. Hello and welcome back to this film's lit podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. Once again, we're taking a break from the Twilight Saga so that we have time to read Eclipse. So if you're here for Twilight, come back in three weeks. Well, two weeks for the prequel, Yeah, but three weeks for the main episode. In the meantime, we have a fan request from our Patreon, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, It's a movie I've seen a long time ago. You've never seen. Nope. You're going to get to see it for the first time after reading the book. But before we get to that, we've got our patron shout-outs. We had three, four, five new patrons? Five new patrons. Twilight's bringing them in. We appreciate everybody who's joined recently. Uh, well, first off, our Hugo award-winning level, we have an upgrade. Scarface upgraded from the two dollar Newberry Medal uh, level to the five dollar Hugo award level. So thank you, Scarface. And at the five dollar level, we have new patron Julia Maria. So thank you both. And we have three new Academy Award-winning patrons. That's the fifteen dollar level. And they're the pa- that's the patron level that gives you priority access or priority recommendations, which is one of the reasons we're doing Starship Troopers right now. And those patrons are Dory, Grey Hightower, and Kelly Napier. Na- or Napier. Napier, probably. So fantastic. Thank-, thank you to all three of our brand new Academy Award-winning patrons. Uh, you will get a shout-out every prequel episode, as you're about to see with our already existing Hall of Fame patron or Academy Award winning patrons coming up. Uh, so feel free to change your name to reflect. If you want to shout something out, we have some people do that as you're about to see here. Uh, but feel free to do that. Uh, we record on Tuesdays. So as long as you get it, if you get it changed by like Monday okay. of a prequel week, we'll we'll most likely get the new updated one. So uh, moving on to our Hall of Fame Academy Award winners. We have, as always, Eli Young Scratch, da 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 just scratch. Shelby says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter. Fascism is here, and it brought secret police. That is, woof, timely in multiple <laughs> ways. Uh, I believe this is most specifically a reference to uh, or Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe this person is also a patron of opening arguments because I believe that's how they found us. And they talked, they had an episode recently about the whole situation and the legality of it and all that stuff, which was really fascinating and interesting. If you want uh, a more in-depth dive on like the actual situation and what, and who, <laughs> what legally is going on. Uh, you can check out one of the more recent opening arguments uh, episodes about uh, the secret police in Portland. And finally, Alina Delet Kolova. Thank you all very much. He'll be joined by three new Academy Award winners on the next prequel episode. So that'll be exciting. All right, let's go ahead and move on. We have our fan poll follow-up for Twilight Saga New Moon.
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your
0: opinion, man. We had lots of feedback this time, Katie.
1: Yeah, we did uh, pretty good. Um, We talked a little bit about at the end of last episode that we were having some issues with the Facebook polls Yeah, and our fans rose to the occasion Indeed, and went and found our polls. So we actually have some feedback to share.
0: And more so than votes even, just lots of comments Mm -hmm. and and input, which is, the votes are fine, but I'm more interested to hear what people have to say. Yeah, the comments are the fun part. If we get six six votes and 15 comments, that's better for me. I'm more into that than, you know, vice versa, Mm -hmm. so...
1: So on Facebook, we had seven votes. Four of them were for the movie and three for the book. And a couple comments jennifer said i think the book does a better job of showing that bella engages in increasingly dangerous activities as a way of desperately trying to make edward appear or maintain her hallucinatory connection to him it wasn't as hard to read as i could insert a level of badassery to her descriptor her desperation that just didn't come across in the same way on screen i agree with that yeah
0: yeah, they don't really make a, make I, from my memory, I don't think we really talked about that, but I don't know if they make a super clear connection to her thrill-seeking, and yeah. I'm sure they did, but I don't remember it being quite as clear as it was in the book, so.
1: Mm-hmm. Anthony said, can Michael Sheen be the winner over both the book and the movie?
0: Uh, I say yes. Yes, I
1: think the answer <laughs> to that is Yes. Joanna said, tough choice, but I'm going with the movie for the eye candy.
0: Lots of these answers. That was a
1: popular response Lots overall. Lots of thirsty
0: people in the <laughs> comments on this one.
1: And we had a couple people that agreed with, with <laughs> Joanna in the comments. And also Amanda said, I think I liked the movie more solely for Taylor Lautner's abs. I remember the collective cheer that went up in the movie theater when he takes mm-hmm. his shirt off. hmm um, and Amanda, Amanda is a friend of mine in yeah. real life. We've been friends for a long time, um, like third grade. Yeah, uh, She's actually a doctor. And she also said, also, I think Bella has pathological grief based on her <laughs> hallucinations. It is a real thing. And yes, when this happens, you should seek help. Yeah. So we yeah. have it confirmed. If you are hallucinating your... um. Dead or otherwise <laughs> uh, gone from your yeah. life, loved ones, yeah. you should seek medical seek, help.
0: Seek help. <laughs> uh, find somebody to talk to about that. Yeah, for sure. Fantastic.
1: Uh, over on Twitter, we had 13 votes. Nine of them were for the movie, four for the book, and quite a few comments. Um, April Atmansky um, said the movie wins for the soundtrack. Mm. I think the music choices for all the movies are good, but New Moon is definitely the best. It introduced me to a lot of indie folk bands, and I don't Think I know how to pronounce Tom that York. artist's name. Okay, it is just Tom York. Tom York all right, yeah. So it Also it has weird, a yeah. cool Tom York song. I was like yeah. looking at it, like I hope it's York and not Yorkie. Tom <laughs> Yorky, <I'm>
0: not one hundred. <laughs> he's like sure. he's like Norwegian. <laughs>
1: I mean, if we're getting, if, to be fair. If we're getting into indie artists, yeah. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if he pronounced it Tom Yorkie. <laughs> in yeah. all fairness to me,
0: yeah, that is something we didn't talk about during the episode, though was the music and uh well, I mean we t- i think we might have mentioned it once or something, but not not very much uh and I, yeah, I agree the music was mm-hmm. was quite good in it and i I don't know if it's the Tom york song, but there's i i think the one if I did mention it, it was the scene where she's underwater. that song I thought was trippy mm-hmm. and co- cool um and really fit that was the one that stuck out to me the most
1: but. I think I think Twilight and New Moon both succeed on the soundtrack level. Mm-hmm. whoever was in charge of that did a good job, yeah. Um, Matt Nelson said the movie because of riff tracks.
0: Okay, I've um, never seen the riff tracks. I haven't seen
1: all of the riff tracks. I've seen a couple like clips on YouTube of like Twilight riff yeah. tracks. Um, it was pretty funny. Um, I like riff tracks.
0: I I, I generally enjoy them. Um, I mean, it's the same guys that did Mystery Science Theater or mm-hmm. similar. It's not all the same people, but some of the similar people. Um, I actually I was trying to see if I had a note about it because I found it a thing about uh riff tracks about starship troopers I don't see that I made a note about it so I'll just make mention it here I th- I thought I had it in my movie facts potentially um they riff tracked starship troopers and apparently according to this one article I was reading clearly did not understand that it was satire at all oh which that's the most embarrassing thing to me yeah. as a, like a bad cuz I if you don't know I do bad movie reviews and the idea of Like, not getting the fact of what a movie is trying to do. Yeah. It's, like, the worst nightmare of a bad... Like, if you're riffing on a bad movie, because, boy, you gotta be, like... And so, supposedly, they just didn't get it at all. Um, And famously, I think, like, the main riff tracks slash Mystery Science Theater guy, Mike Nelson, is, like, very conservative, so he just maybe didn't get Mm -hmm. what it was doing at all. (laughs) But anyways, so they riffed on Starship Troopers, and, like uh and didn't get that it was a satire so that's unfortunate yeah
1: that would be embarrassing yeah anyways um, kelly napier brand new academy award winning patron i assume this is the same person i yeah. apologize if not unless we have two kelly, kelly
0: napiers <laughs> our audience isn't that big i would be surprised <laughs>
1: Um, they said last time I picked up the book. Last time I picked the book. This time it's the movie. Same as us. I'm almost ashamed of the reason why, but I'll <laughs> gif it anyway. And listeners, imagine if you will, a gif of Taylor Lautner shirtless. Shirtless. There you go. So
0: fair enough. We don't shame thirst in here. <laughs> it's a sex positive podcast.
1: Son of Skyrim at Dragonborn 2008 said, even though I don't like the rest of the sequels, it was nice to see Edward get his ass handed to him in the movie rather than the book. I still feel bad for Robert being in these movies. Plus, the book felt too slow to read as a pacing issue. So film wins for me.
0: There you go. I assume the ass handed to him part is the Bella yelling at him. I would assume so. I think
1: that's the only time he kind of gets his ass handed to him in the movie. not really
0: in it much. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, also I guess the fight, at times he kind of gets beat up in that fight. That's That's true. Yeah, that's true. Could be talking about that too, like the fight at the end.
1: At Ray62, Ray spelled with a W. Mm Mm-hmm. Said I chose the movie this time because it really went for it. The score and, st- and soundtrack were just chef's kiss. The visuals were lush, the color palette like a Baroque painting. It made me think of, Doug- of Douglas Cirque movies of the 50s. This movie didn't try to disguise the melodrama, and I respect that. All credit to Michael Sheen, but everyone was really present and doing their best. One of my fave scenes was the Carlisle and Bella post B-Day accident.
0: Yeah, I can agree with that mm-hmm. in general. I don't know who Douglas, I've actually, this is a hole in my movie knowledge, I'm not aware of Douglas Stark. Maybe I would be if I saw some movies that.
1: I'm not either. But that
0: is not a thing that I'm aware of, so.
1: Although it's much less tragic for me to not be aware of <laughs> I it. mean,
0: yeah, I got a <laughs> very bad film degree, so.
1: I got a pretty bad literature <laughs> degree. We went to the same school. Fair enough. So we had a lot of comments agreeing with us on the movie, and then we had Shelby.
0: Yes, Shelby, voicing the voice of opposition.
1: (laughs) And I'm not going to read all of what you had to say, Shelby, because you did say quite a lot. We love that. Please continue to do that. Yes, we do enjoy Um, it. But I am going to edit a little bit just to try to keep this a little bit more concise. If you want to hear all of Shelby's thoughts, please go and read them on our Twitter poll. So Shelby said, it's just going to be me again, isn't it? (laughs) There's things I liked about the movie, like Victoria causing Harry's heart attack and the glorious shut up moment. I wish we got more of the bad movie they watched, and I liked Emmett's stupid comment to Edward about dating an older woman at her party. The big thing for me is that in the book, Bella and Edward get complete character arcs, while the movie kind of tries to resolve Bella's arc and Edward's arc is set up and quickly forgotten. I'm not saying they're great arcs, I'm not saying they aren't problematic, but the book has them and the movie does not. The reason Bella has the hallucinations is so she can realize Edward loves her. Putting these pieces together resolves her arc. The movie never ties the hallucinations to everything, and the resolution is supposed to be Edward telling her he loves her and he was doing everything for her, things he said countless times, but this time, somehow, it fixes it. Edward's arc is about whether he believes there's life after death for vampires. He leaves Bella because it's why he doesn't want her to be a vampire. That's why it's important for him to think he's dead in the book when Bella finds him and confronts him about his own beliefs at the end. Also, the scenes where Bella and Edward finally clear the air about their relationship is the payoff for the whole book, while the movie keeps a few lines and drops that resolution. If I'm sitting through a long story like this, I want the payoff at the end. Okay. That's fair.
0: That's fair. I think I've only seen the movie once i felt like and maybe it's it's maybe i'm because i finished the book and then immediately watched the movie so it's a little hard to divorce what i was getting from him i felt like potentially i still got similar arcs and re- resolutions in the movie maybe mm-hmm. not as strong i will i would yeah, agree with definitely that. definitely
1: not as strong not
0: as explicit but i felt i still felt that was there um it's at least all touched on in a way that I, I will agree that it's not as concrete as it is in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't spend as much time establishing Edward's whole issue with uh, his soul and, and all that sort of stuff. We have like the one scene with Carlisle where he talks about mm-hmm. it a little bit uh, and a couple other, but it's pretty minimal. Um, whereas in, it, it's mentioned more more often in the book. Um, and the same thing for Bella and like the resolution uh, with her and, and realizing that Edward does actually love her. And then he was doing all this stuff to protect her. I feel like that's all there. It's just maybe not as, yeah.
1: I think for me, the thing that makes it a little hard to suss, like the difference between the way the book does it and the way the movie does it, is that Shelby is also right in that they're not great arcs.
0: <laughs> yeah, even, maybe even that in the is. Book, yeah, I
1: think as character arcs, they're still. Like a little bit flimsy, so even though they are resolved, it's still a little, like a little bit difficult for me to even see them as character arcs because they're just so.
0: I think that's fair. (laughs) That's fair. If you asked me, like, okay, what's Bella's arc in this book? What's Edward's arc in this book? I may have had a slightly tough time defining what I thought they were. I think I maybe Mm -hmm. would have gotten there. You know, obviously Bella's sort of coming to terms with whether or not Edward loves her, I guess maybe. Yeah. yeah. I guess I can see that. Um, Edwards, I don't know if I would have got, cause the whole thing with the, And I, think I don't know. It,
1: it, I think we're hurt in the book by the fact that we're not in Edward's point of view. Yeah. It's a little easier because we're in Bella's head. Yeah. But I don't know that one of Stephanie Meyer's strengths as a writer is Thoughts of characters whose point of view we're not in.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess I'm not even sure what the resolution of Edward's arc is in the book. She says, Shelby said it's important that he thinks he's dead, but but then he's not. So what does that mean for his belief? That doesn't answer anything for his belief about whether or not. He has an afterlife, you know what I mean? Like whether or not he has a soul, like I don't know if the book even actually resolves that. Like that's his whole setup is like, I don't want you to become a vampire because I'm worried. You know, you you're damned for all eternity. Essentially, you have no soul. Uh, you can't go. You can't whatever version of afterlife there may be. You don't get to take part in it. Basically, is right. his fear. But then I don't see how the resolution of the book necessarily.
1: Yeah, fixes, I think it is
0: answers that a in fair any way. Point
1: that he is clearly still grappling with that.
0: Yeah. At the end of Cause the book, because he still doesn't want I, to.
1: I would be more inclined to read his arc as. Coming to understand the depth of Bella's feelings for him, and yeah. that it's not just like a passing human fancy for her.
0: Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, because to me it almost feels like they're <laughs> mirroring... Like, neither of them realized how much the other one... They both had same the same... Similar ideas about the... Like, they both assumed they were far more... Because they even say this in the book from my memory. Mm-hmm. They both think that they were far more obsessed with the other person than they were with them. Yes. Well, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I, to me, it's the, the the arc is essentially both of them realizing yeah,
1: and that like that's not the case. Coming that... to... Which, and I do agree that the movie... Does not do as good of a job.
0: Yeah, I could see that, yeah. With that. Yeah. 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 Well, it's so, interesting. Uh, All right.
1: Since we're talking about um, Edward's point of view, though, I want to mention this here. Midnight Sun oh, yeah, comes out, out today. Yeah. Um, tomorrow, for those of you listening to this on Wednesday, premiere day, um, well... Yesterday, I guess, came out yesterday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, because today is Tuesday, and it came out as we're recording, as we're recording, came out today. today. I am on the list to get this from the library. I'm on the wait list. I am planning on doing, I'm not going to make you read it.
0: Oh, God, (laughs) you could try.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I am planning to do a follow-up discussion. Okay. Of Midnight Sun. However, I would like everyone to be aware that it's going to be a hot minute because yeah. I'm, I'm pretty far down on that wait list. Yeah. And Stephanie Meyer is not getting another red scent from me. Yeah. So I'm fair. not buying it. Okay. I, I yeah. made a couple yeah, jokes have... about pre-ordering it, but yeah. I'm not buying we it. We
0: have purchased all of our Twilight's secondhand. And yeah. Most of them from Goodwill. I've been, Goodwill Yeah, I've been stuff.
1: scouring our local Goodwill to get copies, if there are always copies of yeah. the Twilight Saga at Goodwill. Yeah. A couple of them I got through thriftbooks.com. Yeah, but yeah we
0: haven't purchased
1: any. Um, and I am also on the wait list, farther, fairly farther significantly up on the wait list for Life and Death, Twilight Reimagined mm. at the library. So, the
0: gender-bent one? Yes,
1: the mm. gender-bent one. So we will also be... think uh, You guys will be getting... Um, something about that for me as well <laughs>
0: fantastic <laughs> all right that was it for our fan feedback for new moon thank you to everybody so many people uh sharing their opinions we really love it love i think it sparks some interesting conversations uh and we love you loves to see it so let's move on to our learning things segment and learn about robert a
1: heinlein no matter what anybody tells you words and ideas can change the world so Robert A. Heinlein, mm-hmm. American science fiction author, aeronautical engineer, and retired naval officer, which I checked on as I was reading the first chapter of Star Trip Troopers. I was like, does this guy have military experience? Check, check, check. Okay, yes, he does. All right. Um, sometimes called the Dean of Science Fiction Writers... Um, (laughs) that's what i said when i read it too um heinlein was among the first to emphasize scientific accuracy in his fiction and is therefore considered a pioneer of the subgenre hard science fiction Um, Heinlein was also one of the first American sci-fi writers to break into mainstream magazines, such as Saturday Evening Post in the late 1940s. He was one of the best-selling science fiction novelists for many decades, and he, um, Isaac Asimov, and Arthur C. Clarke are often considered the, quote, big three of English-language science fiction authors. Um, Heinlein's notable works... Most notable include Stranger in a Strange Land, Starship Troopers, and The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Hmm. Very evocative titles. Yes. Uh, Heinlein was named the first science fiction writer's grand master in 1974. Four of his novels won Hugo Awards, and seven of his works were awarded. Retro Hugo's um, awards given retrospectively for works that were published before the Hugo awards
0: came into existence. Uh, so. I believe uh, <laughs> this is one of the guys that George R. R. Martin got in trouble about talking about constantly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I haven't.
1: I haven't watched any. <laughs> I of haven't watched any that. of it either. But. I, I watched some of the aftermath unfold on Twitter, and I was like, "This Ugh, is too energy mess. consuming." Yeah. Um, And I left that discourse.
0: But it's funny because I was like, as as soon as we started doing research for Starship Troopers, I saw that name and I was like, I feel like I recognize that name from reading something recently. And I was like, oh, and then I saw the thing about the Hugo Awards. I was like, oh, I bet I know what that's. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are a few basic Heinlein facts. We're gonna do a much more
0: measured, uh, um, balanced uh, conversation on Heinlein here. Yeah, we're potentially. Gonna, we don't. Again, we haven't watched. We're gonna
1: other. consider a lot of different factors. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to start off with a few like basic facts about him, since this is like an author learning things. But what I'd really like to spend my time on here is his political views. Yep. I think that's what's going to end up being important to our discussion. For sure. Uh, Especially in regard to whether or not Starship Troopers is satire or a fascist love letter and how the movie did or didn't change that. Mm -hmm. So like most science fiction writers... Heinlein used his science fiction as a way to explore often provocative social and political ideas and to speculate how progress in science and in engineering might shape our future. Politics, race, religion, sex, etc., etc. Now, in the world of science fiction, that is not unique. No. His ideas were often also seen as radical Again, not something particularly unique in the world of sci-fi. But what makes Heinlein so interesting in this regard is twofold, I think. One facet is that his political views went through a dramatic shift throughout his lifetime mm-hmm. and throughout the time when he was publishing works actively. Another facet that is that has even more progressive ideas are often a mixed bag and those things make it hard i think for modern readers to decide what to do with him yeah like where do we how do we classify heinlein
0: yeah it's yeah it's one of those things that we discussed it a little bit uh uh, with somebody like tolkien to some extent it's a little bit maybe a little different but a similar thing where it's 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 harder to to like put okay this person in a bag are they good or are they bad do we hate them, right. or do we like and, them? <laughs> and that too
1: i think is touching on this is slightly off topic but touching on one of the problems with the very binary society it's the binary that we discourse live in. on yeah if x thing is bad that means the opposite of it must be good and vice versa yeah. so and that makes it difficult to quantify someone like heinlein yeah. or like tolkien yeah so heinlein's early political leanings were pretty liberal um, in 1934, he worked for the Democratic campaign of Upton Sinclair. was running for Governor of California. After Sinclair lost that race, Heinlein became an anti-communist democratic
0: activist. Did, uh, what, what? <laughs> did, the, did Upton Sinclair lose to a communist? I'm going to go out of the limb and say no. so it seems like a weird term, but okay. <laughs> so I did a little bit of research here, and it looks like Upton Sinclair was a socialist an outspoken socialist, and ran for Congress as a nominee from the Socialist Party. And then the thing that we were discussing in the episode, he ran for governor of California on the Democratic Party ticket. And I assume he was still a socialist. He ran under the banner of end poverty in California. So it's fascinating to me that that would result in Robert Heinlein becoming an anti-communist. I don't see the A to B here, but... I figured I'd include that little tidbit because I did some research and I found it interesting. So there you go.
1: Um, But his first novel, which was titled For Us, The Living, written in 1939, um, advocates a social credit system, which is a C.H. Douglas um, philosophical economical system allegedly designed to disperse economic and political power to individuals. Hmm. Um, Another early story, Misfit, also from 1939, features an organization called the Cosmic Construction Corps, which seems to be um, Roosevelt's civilian conservation corps, but in outer space. Hmm. However, in the 40s and 50s, Heinlein's fiction began to take on more conservative views. Heinlein himself stopped identifying as a Democrat in 1954 after World War II, he came to believe that a strong world government was the only way to avoid mutual nuclear annihilation. His 1949 novel *Space Cadet* describes a future scenario where a military-controlled global government enforces world peace. Hmm. Sounds very peaceful. Um, Heinlein went on to form the Patrick Henry League in 1959, um, espousing his views in a title essay in an essay titled. Who are the heirs of Patrick Henry, which acknowledges the risks of nuclear testing and nuclear war, but states the alternative is surrender. We accept the risks. So he was a big, like, pro-nuclear guy Mm -hmm. in that time. Um, Heinlein was also among a handful of writers who co-signed a pro-Vietnam War ad in a 1968 um, issue of Galaxy Science Fiction. Of his early political views, Heinlein later in life was quoted as saying, I was still politically quite naive and still had hopes that various libertarian notions could be put over by political prosies." It now seems to me that every time we manage to establish one freedom, they take another away. Hmm. Um, and he did, from what I read, considered himself a libertarian. For a libertarian who was pro uh, I
0: don't know. fascist world government. That's
1: like the sky. Yeah, that's what why he's hard I to mean, put into in categories. That's
0: true of most people, though. Most people have the weird, like, have such a strange. Uh, you know, I, I think when you get offline and actually see what normal people believe, they have such a weird mixed bag of beliefs mm-hmm. that it doesn't actually surprise me that much that his beliefs seemingly. Uh, I don't know. It, yeah. I, I guess I can see it. I don't
1: know. So, I want to talk about a couple issues in particular that I think are going to be important as we discuss Starship Troopers. One of them is obviously whether or not he was a fascist, which I'm not really going to get into because that's kind of hard to suss. And I want to talk about it more in relation to Starship Troopers. Right. Um, But I want to bring up the issue of sex and sexism in Heinlein's work. That was a mixed bag. Yep. Uh, some of his early works include themes of sexual liberation and, quote, free love. And while he does write, quote, strong female characters, those characters and the context surrounding them equally as often reflects stereotypical attitudes and ideas mm-hmm. about women. So, you know, competent, formidable female characters... But also very stereotypically feminine. Yeah. Um, and you can tell from the context around them what his feelings are. Yeah. Also on the issue of sex, I wanted to bring this up because yikes. Several of his books deal with incest and the sexual nature of children Already off to a great start here. Uh, Heinlein explores those issues by, quote, removing social objections to them. For example, there's a story where he ages up an 11-year-old female character by way of time travel so that she can be with a 30-year-old male character. Um, there's another story that's set um, in a future that feature, uh, there's a story that features incestuous characters but he sets it in a future where risk of genetic defect in their children is not a concern so he kind of like removes the things to where people may, might be like well that's wrong because yeah. and then uses that as an avenue to explore these issues so make of that what you will
0: yeah. Uh yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I also want to bring up how Heinlein wrote about race. Now he openly denounced racism in his nonfiction works, but he was also pretty fond of doing like a big reveal close to the end of his uh don- of his fictional works mm-hmm. that a character was actually a person of color the whole time, which I think most liberal-minded and maybe not so liberal-minded people today would agree it probably isn't good representation
0: yeah i i it's it's one of those things where in general yeah it's 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 i would say it's probably not great re- representation but i could also see there i could see a use for it in a certain context at a certain time where this character that in a maybe a less progressive time the idea I'm, I have no idea. I don't know, obviously, mm-hmm. any of the context of any of this, but I could, I, I could see the idea of a character that <clears throat> an audience has come to like over the course of the books being revealed to not be what they expected, mm-hmm. having some power over some people who, you know, what I mean, be, in being able to influence people who are maybe less uh, who 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 have uh, racial biases and stuff. That could potentially be like an interesting bait and switch And in a certain place in time For certain audiences Maybe that would be an effective way To get them to reconsider their biases Potentially
1: I think that's possibly the intent right. now, I don't yeah. want to prescribe authorial intent Right Here I'm not particularly comfortable doing that Yeah Um I think that might be the intent. I would maybe have reservations about whether or not that actually works. And that's the fair. Way that it's intended. To. If it doesn't
0: work, then okay, sure. I, I'm just saying that I, you know, I could see that being a goal, maybe.
1: right? Yeah, I could see that as a goal. Because
0: to me, in my head, it seems like maybe that would work. I don't know. Like maybe you know, potentially that could at least jar somebody, like kick the tires to make them. Mm-hmm. Potentially reconsider their Established again their established Biases and notions about and their Perceptions of people of color And that sort of thing um, To if this character they've grown fond Of and now obviously you, yeah That we're we're well past that As a place no. of media you know uh, We're well past anything like that And maybe it was never a good idea I, I'm Open to being argued Against it I'm just saying that I can see Conceptually Potentially The idea behind it and why it might have some sort of, you know, I
1: I agree with that. I just think it's important to point out that his seemingly his preferred method of including people of color as characters was to do the bait and switch right. rather than to just have people right. of color as characters i think it's important to be aware yeah, of that that is of yes. that contextually definitely as yeah. we're exploring one of his works
0: for sure for sure
1: um heinlein also wrote a few pretty yikesy novels that address racial racial issues uh 1964's Farnham's Freehold, which casts a white family into a future in which white people are the slaves of cannibalistic black rulers. Yikes. And also 1941's Sixth Column, in which a white resistance movement in the United States defend, defends itself against an invasion of an Asian fascist state using a super science technology that allows ray weapons to be tuned to specific races. Hmm also seems kind of yikesy
0: those surface level again those both seem very yeah they seem problematic surface level and they very likely are um but it's one of those things where that's you know i could i don't know who knows it would be be, i'd be interested to see like the actual i'm not interested i'm not gonna read them i'm just (laughs) saying i don't want to de facto rule out the idea that 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 exploration of this weird sort of race switch type of situation couldn't be used in a way to explore interesting themes, Mm -hmm. necessarily. But yeah, it definitely feels
1: not great. Yeah,
0: looking at it, I think the answer is it's complicated. (laughs) The answer is
1: it's complicated. I wanted to provide some context so that we have some thoughts kind of floating around regarding the way that he presents his ideas. Absolutely. Not necessarily the ideas themselves, but the way that he as a storyteller presents them.
0: Right. For sure. Cool. All right, that was a little bit about Robert A. Heinlein. We're going to talk now specifically about his work, Starship Troopers. Go to war now the youth of tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world we are a generation commanded by fate
1: to defend humankind
0: everyone fights no one quits we are going in with first wave you smash the entire area you kill anything that has more than two legs you get me we get you, sir!
1: this is an incredibly abbreviated book fact segment I'm going to hit the high points, but not go into a ton of detail um, since you have a lot of movie I have facts. quite a few movie facts. Mm-hmm. We're already at 35 minutes. We're already minutes, at 35 so. minutes. So Starship Troopers is a military science fiction novel, again, by Robert A. Heinlein. It was first published as a two-part serial in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction under the title Starship Soldier. And then it was published as a complete novel in 1959. Starship Troopers, um, one of Heinlein's best-selling books, it's considered his most widely known work. It also won the Hugo Award for Best Novel in 1960. Um, It's also considered enormously controversial, because of the political views that it seems to support reviewers were strongly critical of the book's intentional glorification of the military an aspect that is often described as propaganda Mm -hmm. the ideology of militarism and the fact that only military veterans had the right to vote in the novel's fictional society have led to it frequently being described as fascist Um, Some critics disagree with that, arguing that Heinlein was only exploring the idea of limiting the right to vote to a certain group of people, which still sounds pretty (laughs) fascist to me, but okay, I guess.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Despite the controversy, Starship Troopers has a wide influence, both within and outside of science fiction. Sci-fi critic Darko Suvin wrote that Starship Troopers is the ancestral text of U.S. military fic- of science fiction militarism and that it shaped the debate about the role of the military in society for many years. Uh, the novel has also been credited with popularizing the idea of powered armor, mm-hmm. which has since become a recurring feature in science fiction books and film, as well as an object of real-world scientific research. Later science fiction books, for example, Joe Haldman's 1974 anti-war novel, The Forever War, have been described as reactions to Starship Troopers. So it's a pretty influential work, mm-hmm. despite or perhaps because of the controversy. Yeah. Or perhaps both.
0: Yeah, probably both.
1: Starship Troopers was originally written as a juvenile novel. Um, that's, that's a format that Heinlein had previously had some success with. Uh, The manuscript was rejected, however, which prompted Heinlein to actually end his association with his publisher Hmm. that he had previously been working with and resume writing books that had adult themes. Um, While writing his 1980 volume, Expanded Universe, Heinlein would say that the publication of a newspaper advertisement placed by the National Committee for Sane Nuclear Policy in 1958, um, which called for a unilateral suspension of nuclear weapons testing by the United States, was what sparked his desire to write Starship Troopers. This ad also prompted him to create the Patrick Henry League, which I mentioned earlier. Heinlein stated that he used the novel to clarify his military and political views. Um, uh, commentators have written that Starship Troopers is not driven by its plot, although it does contain scenes of military combat. Uh, the novel, much of the novel is given over to a discussion of ideas, however, and critics have debated to what extent the novel promotes Heinlein's own political views, um, some contend that the novel maintains a sense of irony That allows readers to draw their own conclusions While others argue that Heinlein is sermonizing Throughout the book And therefore its purpose is to expound His militaristic philosophy So
0: Well there you go <clears throat> And this was written after his turn f- Towards a more conservative yes. Sort of militaristic Yeah <clears throat> Viewpoint so Okay So
1: it's Fascinating uh, <clears throat> I'm like sixty <clears throat> pages in.
0: Mm-hmm. I. <laughs> well, you're not the only one. Let's go ahead and talk about Starship Troopers, the movie. But they will face an enemy more devastating than any ever imagined. To the top! We need retrieval now.
1: Someone made a damn mistake.
0: No! The bugs laid a trap for us, didn't they? Ah! TriStar Pictures takes you to the front lines of the next frontier. Kill them all. Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers is a 1997 film directed by Paul Verhoeven, uh, most famously known for directing RoboCop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Showgirls, uh, Mm. among other things, including Starship Troopers. It was written by Edward Neumeier, who also wrote RoboCop uh, and RoboCop, the 2014 reboot. Uh, He pretty much just wrote Starship Troopers and RoboCop stuff. He's credited on a million different versions of RoboCop and Starship Troopers. Didn't do much else. Uh, the film stars Casper Van Dien, Dina Meyer, Denise Richards, Jake Busey, Neil Patrick Harris, Patrick Muldoon, who followed us on Instagram because of a post. <laughs> Clancy Brown. If you're listening, Patrick Muldoon, what's up? Clancy <laughs> Brown, Michael Ironside, Amy Smart, and others. The movie received mostly negative reviews upon release. Uh, when it came out, uh, critics did not enjoy it, but it has been more kindly reviewed uh, in intervening years as people became to came to appreciate its sort of satirical and self aware nature.
1: Did the initial critics did they understand that it was satire? I don't think
0: they did. I think the okay. implication I don't I couldn't find any like reviews from the time specifically. Uh, I saw some that were like I saw like there were snippets from reviews at mm-hmm. the time that just called it like dumb and gory, uh, needlessly, you know, like kind of. Yeah surface level type things, but I didn't, I I couldn't find any full reviews. I'm sure they're out there. Um, it's current score in Rotten Tomatoes. Is at 64% fresh, uh, which Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic have reviews that span from mm-hmm. when it came out to current time and more recent reviews. Uh, so it's 64% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and has 51 out of hundred on Metacritic. Uh, at the time it was nominated for an Oscar for best visual effects. The movie grossed $54.5 million domestic And ultimately grossed 120 million worldwide against a budget of 105 million. So it made a little bit of money. I don't Mm. know how much they marketed it, but.
1: I mean, it wasn't like a loss. Yes. It
0: wasn't like a huge loss. It wasn't a huge bomb. They made sequels, but we'll talk about that. So uh, you mentioned that you're not enjoying the book so far. Uh, Speaking of which, Paul Verhoeven, the director, never read the book. He attempted to read it for the film, it made him bored and depressed. (laughs) So he only read a few chapters. This is his quote. I stopped after two chapters because it was so boring. It is really quite a bad book. I asked Ed Newmeyer to tell me the story because I just couldn't read the thing. It's a very right-wing book. I
1: think I was reading. It took me so long to read the first chapter. And I think I said to you maybe four or five times, I'm so bored. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so bored.
0: Yes. Uh, Paul Verhoeven agrees. Uh, the bug planet scenes uh, were filmed in the badlands of Hell's Half Acre in uh, Natrona County, Wyoming. So uh, it's like a big desert planet in the mm-hmm. movie, but I filmed that in Wyoming. Um, I got some just random facts here, and then we're going to get into more of some of the political stuff eventually. Uh, the cast, so there's a big famous uh, naked shower scene in the movie. It's like very well known. The cast apparently only agreed to do the co-ed shower scene if Paul Verhoeven would direct the scene naked which he did. He just got naked and Verhoeven who's Dutch found it very strange that this was requested by the actors. And this was his quote about it. Americans get more upset about nudity than ultra violence. I'm constantly amazed. About, I'm constantly amazed about that. I mean, I haven't seen any sex scenes in American film that are anything other than completely boring. A bare breast is more difficult to get through the sensors than a body riddled with bullets. Um. And now this is a side note. Just to kind of tack on to that, because to kind of complete picture and the complication of the whole thing. We, we talked about this with uh, uh, Heinlein. Uh, Verhoeven uh, should be noted that writer-producer Polly Platt uh, claimed in her unpublished medwar- memoir that was posthumously published to the public in July of this year, actually, so very oh, wow. recently, very recently. Um, that Verhoeven groped her after a production meeting. After the allegation was publicized, he has declined to comment. Hmm. That is the only that was the single allegation that was the, was the only thing I saw on his Wikipedia mm-hmm. page. Um, but still, I you figured know, I'd throw it out there.
1: Yeah, I think that's when we're important. discussing sort of his like
0: yeah, contextually yeah. discussing his like sort of because because I, I at first I was like I, you know kind of agree sent, this, with the sentiment of the idea of the weird sort of.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, definitely. America definitely. America's has a weird, weird sex, sex thing.
0: thing, and and especially compared to like violence and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and and so that that quote I was like very much agreeing with, it and you know. But then just for context, I think it is important to point out that
1: I will yeah. say, like Verhoeven personally aside, I feel like this is a fair way to approach. Yeah nude scenes yeah. if i have to be naked you do too buddy
0: yeah uh the the deep uh the dp was also naked but he <laughs> apparently grew up in a nudist camp so it was not <laughs> a problem for him <laughs> he was like immediately stripped down like all right <laughs> this is how i live my life um so apparently and this is i thought this was just really interesting in the film, it was clear that Carmen, who's one of the, the one of the, like one of the main or not the, not one of she's Denise Richards' character, I believe, uh, was torn romantically between Rico and Xander, which is I believe uh, that's Casper Van Deen and Patrick Muldoon. Mm-hmm. Um, test audiences, apparently, regardless of gender of the audience, strongly felt that a woman could not love two men at once. So scenes which portrayed this were cut. The same audiences also felt it was immoral for Carmen to choose a career ahead of being loyal to Rico, to the extent that many commented that, in doing so, Carmen should have been the one to die instead of Dizzy, which is another female character in the movie. (laughs) Who are these test audiences?
1: Be a little more
0: misogynist. Whoa. Right? (laughs) I Uh, thought that was fascinating. Okay,
1: the bit about the career... We'll just set that over here for a minute yeah um the idea that they felt that a woman could not love two men at once yeah i just want to say coming off of twilight right. look how far yeah. we've come <laughs> i
0: know right <laughs> yeah i thought that was so interesting Just like who did they? they Because
1: now it's all about the love triangle. This movie
0: didn't come out in the '60s. It came out in 1997. I'm not again not to say that. uh, Yeah, we've come a long way since then, and we got a long way to go still. But like, it's just it was so weird to me. It's like who did they interview (laughs) for that harlot? (laughs)
1: This, they, they took it to like an old folks home. Yeah, right? <laughs>
0: I just thought it was so interesting. Paul Verhoeven stated in 1997 that the very first scene of the film, if you're going to watch it, which we're going to tell you at the end of this places you can watch it, an advertisement uh, for the mobile infantry was adapted shot for shot from a scene in Lenny Reifenstahl's uh, Triumph of the Will, which is a Nazi propaganda film. Mm-hmm. Um, other references to Nazium in the movie include uh, their, their uniforms. They have war inspired uniforms and insignia of the officers. Um, and they also have uh, some of the MI, which the, the Mobile Infantry. Their working uniforms are reminiscent of Mussolini's black shirts. And uh, Albert Spears, which I believe is not a Nazi's, uh, style of architecture and propagandistic dialogue, including uh, the phrase, violence is the supreme authority. So in an interview actor, Michael Ironside who plays, I believe one of the like trainers or sergeants or something in the, it's been so long since I've seen it. Um, Michael Ironside, who read the novel as a youth, said he asked Verhoeven, who actually, apparently, since I said he was Dutch, he grew up in Nazi-occupied Netherlands. Mm -hmm. um, He said, why are you doing a right-wing fascist movie? And Verhoeven replied, if I tell the world that a right-wing fascist way of doing things doesn't work, no one will listen to me. So I'm going to make a perfect fascist world. Everyone is beautiful. Everything is shiny. Everything has big guns and fancy ships. But the only thing it's good for is killing fucking bugs. (laughs) Uh, And then in his DVD commentary, uh, Verhoeven said that the film's message is that war makes fascists of us all. So very (laughs) uh, Mm anti-war in his um, politics. Uh, Casper Van Dien, uh, you mentioned this, but this is a bit of a spoiler. Casper Van Dien says he's often asked why uh, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed actor would play Shani Rico, who's actually Juan Rico, an Argentinian, in the book. Uh, And he suggests, and I thought this was an interesting idea, potentially, again, it's been so long since I've seen the movie, I haven't read the book, he suggests that his character was a descendant of exiled Germans. Uh, Argentina famously was a hiding place for Nazi war criminals after World War II, so mm-hmm. I guess that's a I think, way to.
1: <laughs> I think that's it's interesting potentially,
0: especially with the fascist implications. Yeah, of the, yeah. yeah. Like there's... I
1: think it's yeah potentially interesting. I also think though that this is an example of the problem with the bait and switch yeah. where a character is not written explicitly as yeah. a person of color uh, no, is no, that you, yeah, you open the door to yeah. this kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I thought this was a very fun fact. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, who plays one of the officers or something. Mm-hmm. um, he, He's not in like armor. He's I, I, I've just, again, it's been so long, but I know I remember seeing him. He's wearing like a, like an officer's like suit type thing. Um, and it's very reminiscent of like a, an SS outfit uh and he was on set he was often called the Doogie Himmler, which <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was funny. Uh this is a fun another fun little fact. Uh in the film there's a live training scene and one of the soldiers, uh I don't know how to pronounce this, Jana D. DeJana D hmm. um played by Tammy Adrian George, shoots and kills another soldier accidentally. Uh that couple is together and has a child in real life and they met on this film. So Aww. there you go. Cute. <laughs> Uh, Mark Wahlberg turned down the role of Johnny Rico. So that's interesting. Uh, some of the armor, you mentioned the power armor in the mm-hmm. book facts. It became a very uh, iconic part of the sort of science fiction in general. Uh, you count Countless iterations of it across all mediums. But the very specific armor from Starship Troopers was reused in several things. Probably the one that I know the most uh, and recognized at the time when I watched this but also a lot of people would probably recognize this is in firefly. The second episode, I believe it is because it's not the pilot. It's the second episode, but it aired first when they aired them out of order on TV. But the second episode train job, the train job of firefly, uh, they're wearing, there's some, the guys in the car, in the train, there's Hmm. like military guys in the train and they're wearing the armor from starship troopers. Uh, so there are four sequels to starship troopers. None of them, are were theatrical releases. <laughs> they were all home releases of some sort. Uh, two of them are live action and two of them are animated. Uh, and there was also a 1999 ninety-nine spin-off animated TV show called roughnecks starship St- starship troopers chronicles. And apparently that ends on an unresolved cliffhanger. It was eight stories and it never,
1: we'll never, never wrapped
0: up. So you'll never know what happens <laughs> there. So yeah, that was all the, all kinds of random, interesting, fun facts. Um, So, yes, the movie is very explicitly uh, not supportive of fascism, um, as Paul Verhoeven uh, said in numerous times. But although apparently they were not super clear about that when the movie came out, like that wasn't Mm -hmm. like a big like they weren't talking about that when the movie came out. So I think that may have lent partially to Mm -hmm. some of the maybe initial reviews.
1: Yeah. Uh, Satire can be difficult. Yeah. To recognize, and especially satire done well yeah. can be difficult to recognize.
0: I would argue, though, at the same time that if you can't recognize it's satire, that it's maybe not done particularly well to some extent. I mean, it, it, it there's a line. There's a fine there's line. a but line,
1: and a, what side of the line you're on yeah. depends on a lot of different factors. Now,
0: from my memory, it's been years since I've seen this, but I even, and, and for, I saw this far before I had any sort of, Inkling of critical analysis or the ability, or even understanding of things like, um, I saw this in high school, I think. Uh, and even then, I think I knew that it was satirical to some extent. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to what extent I may, you know, I probably didn't understand all of it, but I feel like even I understood, like, this is clearly, like, making fun of sort of macho military mm-hmm. like that sort of thing. Um, I probably didn't tie it to, like, fascism and, and more deep political opinions and stuff. I would probably just thought, like, oh, it's clearly, like, we're kind of riffing on that like weird like gung ho military thing cuz that seemed pretty obvious to me even in like high school but we'll talk about that at length in the main episode so where can you watch starship troopers we've got them all here check your local library that's number 1 always first fun news it is available on Netflix in the US so that's cool uh if you have a Netflix subscription it is available in the US It is also free with ads on IMDb TV. If you have an account with IMDb, you can sign in with like your Google account and stuff. And apparently it's available there. You just have ads with it. It's available with a subscription on DirecTV and Fubo. I don't know what Fubo is. Never heard of Fubo. Never heard of it, but it came up and it looks like it's there. It's also apparently available on Crackle, but I don't know how Crackle works. So I tried to load it. I clicked on it and it just sat there and loaded and nothing happened. And I don't know if I needed to sign in or what. So... If you know how crackle works, apparently it's on crackle. And finally you can rent it on Amazon Prime, YouTube, wherever for four bucks, like everything else. So, there you go. That's where you can watch Starship Troopers. Woo! That was a long prequel cool episode. I don't got anything else, let's wrap it up in me yep. <laughs> Until next time, guys, gals, I'm Bionary, and everybody else.
1: Keep reading books.
0: Keep watching movies.
1: And keep being, keep being awesome. awesome.